This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Heading toward turn number three, waiting for the green flag to fly to get the Honda Indy 200 in mid-Ohio underway. They'll make the bender, which is turn number three, and see the green flag in the air and a side-by-side drag race into turn number four. Colton Herter will lead the man. Graham Rahal tucked behind. He'll lock him up. Alex Pillow right there nearly touches the rear end of Graham Rahal's car. It's still Graham Rahal in that second position. Kyle Kirkwood in third, and then Pillow fourth. Yeah, all of a sudden, they are side-by-side in that battle for third. Kyle Kirkwood's going to take it, but problems further back in the field. It's Marcus Erickson and Felix Rosenquist. Both of them got airborne. Both of them have come to a stop. Kirkwood, I'll tell you, he has got company. It's below Lugard Dixon all running behind him. Michael Young side by side into turn number four. Alex Pillow tries to outbreak Kyle Kirkwood. Kirkwood will spin. The two nearly touch and Kyle Kirkwood will spin. We have a local yellow here in turn number four. Kyle Kirkwood will get back underway, but Mark Hill lose about six to seven positions. Alex Pillow is able to make a strong move. Uh, Nick Yeoman, as you see him first, come to the keyhole. Great pit stops, not only for Alex Pillow, but for the 45 machine of Christian Lundgaard. They are ahead of Colton Hurd although Lundgaard's not going to be able to keep that spot. Colton Herta swings to the inside, but Michael, they're all looking at the rear wing of our championship leader, Alex Pillow. A rising star in open wheel racing. Alex Pillow is going to go to victory lane. The advanced auto parts checkered flag flies, and he wins the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. Scott Dixon will grab the second spot, the six-time winner with an impressive performance here. And the rest of the field, to give you an idea, the gap was some five seconds back. We see Will Power come out of the carousel. He'll grab the third spot. Christian Lundgaard grabs the fourth spot. And Scott McLaughlin completes the top five of the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough day, honestly. Uh, we, we went for a risky strategy at the beginning, made it work, honestly. Uh, super happy. We had a lot of pace to continue on primaries and uh, run a bit longer than our competitors. And then from there, uh, we just had a lot of pace. So, yeah, amazing pit stops, amazing strategy. Um, and super proud uh, to bring the number 10 American Legion uh, on Victor Lane again. Have you ever had any kind of run like this at any time in anything in your life? Uh, yeah, probably on the simulator on iRacing, but yeah, part of that, no, no, no. This is the best moment of my career so far. I know you'll downplay this and say the championship is not over. Let's look outside of you and what your competitors are thinking at this point. Would they say this guy is going to be very difficult to catch? I don't know. You can ask them. Uh, we'll focus on what we can do. I know we can have some good couple of races coming up now, and we'll try and still maximize and do the best we can, try and win when we can. So, yeah, try and get that number 10 American Legion up top. Hello, welcome. Happy 5th of July. Are the fireworks done yet? Uh... <laughs> I think it's like five nights in a row, so we'll see. That's coming in a couple of hours. Thanks for joining us, courtesy of IndyCar Radio and NBC Sports and USA. Highlights, post-race conversation from the Honda Indy 200. Groundhog's Day, Alex Pillow in victory lane yet again, winning three in a row, four of the last five. Uh, Championship over. Hard to dispute that. A lot of things to get into tonight. At Kevin Lee, 23, at Kurt Cavan. Sam Fritz is in our Indianapolis studios. Hello, Kurt. Hello, Kevin and Sam. Good to be with you tonight. I'm 
you know, I'm with you on the fireworks. I think there ought to be a, a specific date. And whatever date that date falls on, meaning July the 4th, is when they ought to have fireworks. I've heard dogs barking for, for about a week now. <laughs> exactly. The animals do not care for it. My cats are quite afraid. And they just came back out today. So they've got two hours to get prepared again. I fear people have leftovers at this point. But it's fun. It's fun. It's good. Uh, so let's talk about the fireworks or a lack thereof. Um, maybe we should want Alex Pillow to go to Formula One because he's stinking up the championship. He really is. This is, um, you know, we've been talking a great deal over the years about how many seasons IndyCar has gone while having a championship still in play at the last race of the season. And we're up to 17 years. And, and we all celebrate that. And we think that's pretty cool that the sport is this competitive, that, that uh, drivers still have a shot at the last race of the season. He is starting to uh, create a situation where that won't be in play this year. So I've kind of taken a different approach. Rather than poo-pooing the fact that we might not have a championship fight at the last race, I'm trying to look at it like, man, Alex Pillow has been good. Yes, the 10 car has been outstanding, and Chip Ganassi Racing deserves you know, the credit they'll get if he, if he does what we think he might do, and that is to run away with his championship. It just doesn't happen very often. And when it does, maybe we should celebrate it rather than, you know, just say it's unfortunate for the series championship. I agree with that. And, and I also would say as great as Alex Pillow is, this this is a combination. Uh, this team does have a lot to do with it. And this might go back to, you know, as we get into to later about, well, how could how could Chip Ganassi possibly risk losing Alex Pillow and Marcus Erickson. One reason might be because their cars are all good and their teams and their pit stops and their strategy and everything they do is good. So I, I get that. I get how they think, hey, there are other good drivers that are going to want to be in our cars and in our program, and they might bring the budget along with them, which is good for business. So uh, that's a different story. But uh, I, I do think that so, – so Pillow was good. But they have two flawless pit stops. That's part of it. And then here's, I think, where the race was won. So you've got the in and the out laps. NBC did a good job of showing the, uh, the times compared to Colton Herta. And the race changed hands. Herta led the, the start of the race until the first pit stops. He pitted earlier than Pillow did. Uh, Herta and Ray Hall and others had started on the softer tires so they weren't going to be able to go as long and Pillow went on the harder tires so he was able to go a couple of laps extra and Towns of Bell pointed this out uh, I think very accurately that Pillow maybe even could have tried to pass Ray Hall at some point but you're content just to kind of ride so they were probably saving fuel even though they were already going to go further and it's not to go an extra lap that's not necessarily the reason you're saving fuel in that circumstance. It's to make the pit stop shorter. And that's because you know the guy's changing. And in some cases, ladies, in Alex's case, I don't believe they have any ladies going over the wall. But you know the pit crew is going to get it done in six and a half seconds. So we don't necessarily have to wait seven and a half seconds to get all the f fuel in. So that's another way that they made up some time. Because I think they lost a teeny bit of time. By needing to go around 
uh, was the Lungard's tires that were already set up there, but the in and out laps were so good once he got clear track at that point. And then what also helped is that, and I don't know if this is teamwork, it's probably just circumstance, but this is an example how a teammate can help another teammate. Dixon also went long, in fact, went a lap longer than Pelot. So he's coming out of the pits behind Pelot, but because he had also run quick laps, the final three or four before the stop, he's able to exit the pits right in front of Colton Herta. And while Herta was going to get by him, uh, it took him just a little bit of time. And I think I have that scenario correctly. But uh, Herta and Ray Hall, and certainly Herta, had just a little bit of traffic, and that allowed Pelot to build up uh, another second or so on the gap. So those are a couple of things, along with just Alex Pelot being awesome that I see. Well, here's the thing. And I, I heard this uh, today. I listened to the race uh, dot com podcast. I believe that's how it's described. It's J.R. Hildebrand and Jack Binion. And and they got into a discussion. You know, Hildebrand's terrific in assessing how these things are won. And I think if I can summarize his point, it's that, you know, we're four races into the last five where Alex has won the race. And we keep talking about different scenarios, different ways it's happened for him. And I think, and again, J.R. made this point that that the tires are so close, primaries versus alternates, that it it really doesn't matter which way Alex Pelot goes and their team decides on tire strategy and so forth. He's won it so many different ways in these four four wins and three in a row. He's just better than anybody else right now. And And you kind of go back to whichever strategy they choose proves to be the right one. Maybe it's just him. Maybe it's just that kind of season for him. You look at how well he is qualified. You know, his average qualifying is like 3.5. It's better than the other championship contenders or championship uh, winners that dominated their seasons like in 04 and 05. You know, he's so much better as a qualifier that his car ends up being the best car on his strategy. And therefore, he just does the rest. It's not like he's the you know the fourth best car on a particular strategy because of where he qualifies. He's always near the front. He chooses a strategy. The tires are similar, and then he does the rest. And when I say he does the rest, he and the team do the rest. They've just been good everywhere, and, and I expect it will continue unless they just have bad luck. And here's what's scary. When you ask him, you know, is this perfect? Is there anything that can be better? It's, well, yeah, we're not winning the poll. Uh, every weekend, we've what's he won it two times this year, two or three, but you know we qualified fourth, so there is room for improvement. <laughs> um, so, but that is one thing that I see different that he is an even better qualifier than he was in his championship season. He's always been a great racer. He's really good on high deg tracks and in different kinds of circumstances, and his all around game continues to improve. So at this point, um, it's probably a good thing that he's moving on after next year, that he's either going to be with a new team and, and we'll find out. Uh, that'll be a new ni- dynamic. Does he fit the Arrow McLaren car? Does he instantly pick it up at the same level? Or is he in the Formula One world? And if Formula One isn't willing to bring him on, 
then the rest of the paddock might as well, unless Michael Andretti has a team and can pick a driver, the rest of the paddock might as well forget about ever trying to get there because if they don't want Alex Pillow, they don't want anyone. Yeah, I think that's right. Let me give you some perspective. I went back and checked. Again, we're talking about uh, a season in 2004 and in 2005 where Tony Kanaan and Dan Weldon respectfully uh, went on to dominate the championship so much so that, that they had it wrapped up before, um, before the season finale. In those two seasons, at race nine in the year, with a comparable number of races at the end of the year, we're at race nine right now. Alex Pelot's lead is 110 points. For perspective, Weldon's was only 73, and Kanan's was less than that. Kanan's lead was 64, so almost double what Kanan's lead was in 2004, and he went on to you know, run away with the championship, and that gives you some perspective on just how good relative to the competition. I'm not saying that that uh, necessarily Pelot's season has been better than Weldon's or better than Kanan's, but relative to the competition, he's just kicking her butt. And uh, there's no reason to think, you know, his momentum won't continue. I don't know how I phrased it last week, but it essentially was, I can't guarantee that Pelot is going to win the championship, but I'll be really, really surprised or maybe even shocked if he does not. And obviously we've gone a step further. Now I think everyone would be shocked if he doesn't. You mentioned Jack Benyon on, on Twitter. I saw he posted, he did some math, how many points Pelot's rivals need to outscore him by each race for the rest of the season. Dixon needs on average to outscore him by over 12 points, Newgarden 13, Erickson almost 14, Award over 14, McLaughlin 16 and a half and power by 17. You can do that a couple of three times. Uh, the rest of the season, uh, unfortunately, it's over. Yeah, so it's, probably. A, it's a race for second. It's best in class is what we're looking at at this point. Well, the wild card and, and maybe the only hope anyone has, and I think it's Joseph Newgarden's hope to have, is that there are three short track races left, and those street or those short track races have variables that could work against um, Alex Pillow. And it's very possible, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that Newgarden could win all three. And if he wins both races at Iowa and the race at, at Gateway, and you say, well, that's probably not likely. Well, if he doesn't have mechanical failure, we talked about this last week, if he doesn't have mechanical failure at Iowa in the second race last year, he's undefeated on the ovals over the last calendar year. So I think Newgarden could win all three of those. And those are places where, you know, Alex could Alex could just finish 22nd in this 27-car field. Maybe he has a mechanical. Maybe he's collected in an accident. Anything like that could happen. If it happens twice in these three races, then all of a sudden, assuming Newgarden like were to go on, continue on his hot streak, then that lead could be down to, you know, 10, 12, 15 points just with the other, you know, the other four or five races still to go. So it could happen. Is it likely? No. But I think New Garden and the short ovals is the one variable that I would keep a very close eye on. Yeah, let's let, let's talk about some others. There's nothing else to be said about Alex Pillow other than when we get to where's he going to be driving next year, and that's the number one question. 
and no one else can make a move, uh, at least in the upper tier, until it is confirmed what he's doing. Or if you do make a move, uh, there's some risk involved. Good drive for Dixon. Uh, He moves from sixth to second. Power from seventh to third. Um, You know, I think think what Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan did kind of stands out. Maybe that's where we get to next. Christian Lungard, fifth to fourth. And Ray Hall finished the seventh, but it was better than that. He stayed with Colton Herta in that first stint. They made – I know they've been okay at road courses. They've actually been good at times at road courses. But they're all a little bit different. I just kind of feel like they're starting to make some progress. Yeah, it does feel like that. And and I'm happy for them, not because you know I root for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I root for every team to start making improvements in a current season – you know, we saw some some to you know good numbers out of out of Meyer Shank, even though they had trouble with with Simon Pagano's crash. You know, Connor came in and and was respectable, given that he was just thrown in the car a few hours before the race. But you want to see progress from these teams, and you know, we talked about this last week. That it really has this feeling of haves and have-nots this season from a team perspective. Ganassi, Penske. Uh, to a lesser extent, Andretti and McLaren have been okay, um, and, and in some cases maybe a little better than okay. But then we've got a host of teams that are really disappointed in their season. You know, Ray Hall, uh, Meyer Shank Racing, Ed Carpenter Racing, Dale Coyne Racing. The Foyt team's probably hitting, hitting middle weight, if you will, uh, based on their you know resources and expectations, yada, yada, yada. But you know, it's it's good to see Ray Hall feel better about themselves as a race team because, you know, they've they've made a big commitment to the sport. Uh, you know, last what was it? Last when did they come, open their new building? You know, they just opened this beautiful new Over facility. Yeah, they've got uh, you know they got a great staff. You want them to do well, and you want it to be competitive and feel good about themselves. So I think that's where I start. Lungard's had a decent year. Uh, now comes in with a fourth place finish at at uh, Mid Ohio and and Graham. You know Graham. You need the series is better when Graham is relevant and uh, and not just relevant because he's soundbite quality on on NBC and Peacock and the radio sh- radio network. He's better when he's got something good to talk about and he was he was very competitive over the weekend. So that was good to see. Uh, continuing down the box score, I was surprised to see that the fifth was Scott McLaughlin was his second best result of the season. Only the win was better in the opener at St. Pete. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not at St. Pete. At uh, Where did he win? At Barber? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the only result better than that. Well, and and I'll give you another one that's, that's unbelievable. In fact, I had to double-check it to make sure. But Will Powers' seventh-place qualifying effort this weekend at Mid-Ohio tied his best starting position yep. of the season ovals street circuits road courses the greatest qualifier in indy five or in indycar history has not qualified better than seventh all season that's that's staggering to me david malukas um and, and we'll talk about some of his comments over the weekend basically says i'm out and he has his second best weekend of the season and by far the best on a non-oval. He ran up front at Texas and finished, what, fourth? Fourth. I think it was at Texas. Finishes sixth here this weekend. So that was very much needed for that program. 
Well, you know, just like I mentioned, the team as a whole needed something to feel good about. You know, David was such a, a shining light not only two years ago in, in Indy Next when he finished second to Kyle Kirkwood and won, what, seven races that year. But he was really good last year, too. And, and Gateway was the shining example. But we talked about David Malukas on a number of occasions last year, and you know, particularly in oval races. Uh, but he had such a good year last year, and we thought so much is expected of him this year, and they'll take a jump, maybe not you know climb a great deal in the standings, but they'll be better than they were last year. And he just has been – he not only hasn't had results, he hasn't been in the conversation. I can't remember – you know, and I'm sure I have, but I'm not sure I've typed the words David Malukas very often in stories over the last, you know, four months. And that just isn't what we would have expected from that team. So David's not felt good about their program. He's not felt great about himself. And it's nice, again, to see that he's relevant in a race weekend, which he hasn't been virtually at all, as you pointed out. I don't know that we would predict the best Arrow McLaren was eighth, and it came from the guy starting 25th. The Pato Awards spun in qualifying. Uh, we knew he was quick. He had the field covered on Friday, three-tenths faster than everybody and a half a second faster than I think the third quickest on on Friday. So he passes a lot of cars, goes off strategy, is the only one in the top 19 to do, do an extra pit stop in a race that didn't have a caution after he did a pit stop. So that means he made up more than 26 seconds. That's how much time you lose by doing that extra pit stop. So everybody that finished behind him, Pato Award made up 26 seconds on them to finish in eighth. Rossi kind of a ho-hum day in 10th. And, you know, the guy that has the worst luck, it seems, is Felix Rosenquist, who... It's, I'm sure it's not the first time, but it's one of the few times that I can recall a mistake by Marcus Erickson. Yeah, I, you know, you talk about the worst luck. I might say it's the best luck that he had over the weekend because we saw that uh, that rear tire from from uh, Erickson's car leave an imprint on Felix's aero screen. So more kudos to the aero screen in doing its job and keeping the drivers safe. So good luck on that behalf, but you're right, he's had – a terrible race weekend luck and um you know we've said it numerous times we're always rooting for good things to happen to good people and, and there's there's not many better people in the paddock than than felix rosenquist and so it's it's unfortunate because he you know he he looked like he had done everything right in that turn six corner and uh erickson just makes a mistake that you referenced and slides into him and then slides over him and it it didn't take Felix out of the race, but effectively it did because he went a lap down with getting retrieved from the sand or from the from the grassy area. Um, you sure like something good to happen for Felix and and maybe a new contract with another team and a good situation for 2024 will be the good luck that that he's so, been so des- deserving of this year. Yeah, unfortunately, when you go on a lap down at a place like that, your race is over. You can ride around, and if there's enough attrition, pick up a few positions, but. You know, when you're where he's at in the championship, even getting up to 20th doesn't do you any good. And he finishes, what, 25th, one of several a lap down. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, really ho-hum weekend, never really uh, a part of it. Had some some pace on Friday. It's always hard to tell 
at that track because it's so crowded, so difficult to get lap times. But he starts, what, 15th, finishes 12th. So let's get to Andretti Autosport now. Showed a lot of pace. Qualify first and third. And what they have to show for it are results of 11th, 13th, 14th, and 17th. Start with Colton Herta. Well, I would start with the fact that at least they didn't run into each other this year. Uh, that was uh, the story of last year's race. Uh, the contact uh, with Grosjean and Rossi, and then Rossi and must have been Devlin Francesco and Grosjean and Herta. So they at least avoided that. And, uh, you know, Herta's situation, he's just got to be really frustrated. Uh, I'm sure at this point, if he's not publicly saying it, he's privately thinking, man, things were rolling along when my dad was on my radio. Uh, I don't know if that's the reason. Probably is not the reason. But he just continues to have just kind of the wrong thing happen to him. And and, uh, he has to be wondering where this season like last season, is gone because he's probably going to finish about 10th or 11th in the standings. That's not where the talent of, of Colton Herta ought to be slotted in this in this field. So his race changed. He, he led the first start of the race, as we talked about with Pelot. He pits early, and then Pelot jumped him uh, with good in and out laps. So he comes out. He's going to be running whatever it was, second or third, is still in that situation. After his second stop, he was getting passed by Dixon. So he was going to be third when he was told he had a pit speed penalty. Uh, I'm still not clear whether the pit speed limiter did not work or as he's making that sharp turn, if maybe he did not get it hit squarely enough. But on the replay, you can see that he didn't forget that he did hit it, but who knows? So, something happened there, and he has to do a drive-through and ends up finishing 11th. Uh, he has another strategist change, so the first one, you know, for potentially multiple reasons. I, I think having Brian Herta help Kyle Kirkwood is advantageous. You could make the argument that, that Colton has already gotten through that process on his career, and Kyle could use it a little bit better. But there's potentially some of, uh, you know, we just like to split up son and dad because son sometimes is, you know, spends too much time arguing with dad. So let's just go ahead and do that and, and try to better the program. So for this particular week, and if you recall from two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, uh, it did not go correctly at Road America. I don't know who makes the call. On that, it could be an engineer, it could be the strategist, it could be Michael Andretti. He floats around and sometimes makes calls. I, I remember Ray Goslin, longtime Ryan Hunter Ray engineer and strategist, telling me I really liked it when Michael was in our box because, one, he's good at strategy, and, two, he's willing to take some risks, and then if it doesn't work, hey, he's the boss. He, gets to, he takes the blame for it. He doesn't blame me for it, and... That makes my life a little bit easier. So I, I don't know in that situation. I know this, though. Michael was floating for the last few races. One of the changes is he's gone back to working more directly just on the 28 box with Romain Grosjean, trying to kind of stabilize that program. Uh, Rob Edwards have been with Devlin Francesco since it started. And I think we can kind of read between the lines and, you know, kind of see – we don't know if Devlin is going to be a part of that program, uh, and, and I've asked parties involved with that, and they, they agree with that. We just don't know. 
He might be back. He might be somewhere else. So we need to evaluate for the future. We're experimenting. So they're going to try uh, Rob Edwards, who's really, really good at what he does, uh, being on Colton's pit box. And, and there's that change. For, uh, I would say, rest of the Andretti crew, Devlin DeFrancesco has another solid weekend. This is like three out of four, where he's kind of been in that 12 to 14 grouping, so that's good. Romain Grosjean, just a, a, another very meh weekend. And I still, in fact, I think Nathan Brown of the Star had this confirmed. We assumed. No, this we talked about this on last week's show. Um, but I guess since the show, he got it confirmed from Romain that he has not signed with anyone and the preference is still Andretti Autosport. You know, I don't know if it helps your cause if, you know, the first words in your interview after the race is we got the strategy wrong uh, as to why it didn't go well. Maybe true uh, or not, but I don't know there. And then Kyle Kirkwood qualifies third, is quick, and he loses out to a battle with Alex Pillow who, as you listen to Hinch and, and Townsend debated a little bit, left him just barely enough room, or maybe not enough, but it takes that kind of fierceness to make moves, and, and Pelot did it. Kirkwood is the loser in that one. He comes out ninth. I honestly don't know how he ended up in 17th. Did you notice what happened to lose more positions towards the end of the race for him? I didn't. Um, that That's one that when you go back and watch the full race, you maybe you can get a, you know get some discernment. Um, no, I don't know. The other comment that I'm backing, backing up just a little bit on Colton Herta, I think he did get to the button, but I wondered on he's coming in on pit entry and the car is getting away from him to some degree, not a lot, but just enough. And I wondered if he just carried too much momentum. And even if he got to the button and inactivated on time, he had to be deeper on pit entry, uh, on pit road entry, I should say. Then, then maybe he would have been under normal circumstances, and maybe it's you know less than ten feet, but that ten feet then threw him off for the for the pit you know the pit uh, commitment line or or the tracking device. Uh, he just was he overshot it. I think that's as simple as probably what happened. Okay, still more to get to in this race. We need to talk. Uh, unfortunately, it's not great things as to why Benjamin Peterson was being discussed. We'll try to look at it from his perspective a little bit and what the others are thinking. We need to talk about Simon Paginot and Connor Daly's fill-in and plenty more all to come. It's Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The old telecommunications degree is not helpful in that regard, and I have a new computer, and I am not smart enough to operate it. So thus, if you're listening live, why that break was longer than normal. We've lost Kurt for a moment, and even if we can, I can't hear him, so I'm going to talk amongst myself. Uh, unfortunately, Benjamin Peterson got um, airtime for the wrong reasons this past weekend. And you, you normally don't get mentioned a whole lot if you're running between 20th and 27th. And it's a rookie season. So for he and Stingray Rob, they're trying to learn as they go. 
Well, he got in the show when he was trying to stay on the lead lap. And I, I would say this. I think Benjamin is making nice progress. He's getting better. He's had some good pace. He had the good pace at the Indy 500, qualified well at Road America. It's getting there. And with that, you know, once you get past the midpoint of the race or whatever, uh, in a race that stayed, other than the very opening lap caution, it stayed caution-free, so it tends to get spread out a little bit. He's then hoping to stay on the lead lap. Alex Pillow is super quick, and he's behind him, and leaders get very disenchanted if someone that is 25th-ish doesn't move out of their way. Now, the other side of that is, hey, if you're faster than them, just go ahead and pass them. And I, I tend to agree with that as well. Um, but unfortunately, road course racing, you can kind of hold people up. And that's sort of a, a bit of a flaw in the tracks. Mid-Ohio is about as difficult as it gets. And that's why you can fuel save and hold people behind. So you better just qualify well and get up there in front. So you can argue whether that should be done or not. I, I think trying to stay on the lead lap, it's all fair. So people would have probably gotten over that. I also will point out it's well within his rights. And even after Pelot gets by him, it's still within his right until he is a lap down to all cars to continue fighting. Now, I think the drivers would say, and this is where I do agree with them, I think that's probably a flaw in the system. That once you've gone to lap down to the leaders and you are past the midpoint of the race, and in some cases, they were three-fourths of the way or more into the race to even where if there was a caution, they would have moved him to the tail of the field anyway. A caution was beyond saving him. Once you lose your place and you're on a similar strategy to the leaders, it ain't coming back. So I would advise young drivers uh, best to not make any enemies moving forward. Now, to the Benjamins' side of things, uh, there's another car for position, I'm sure, not far behind him, and they are desperately trying to make the leader circle. That's worth over a million dollars. Top 22 entrant points. So, you know, you can't just look at driver points because it's not going to include the number 20 car, which has a chance to be in there. And then there are different rules. The 11 is not eligible. So it's really the top 23 are going to make it, and the... 55 car has a chance, but they're going to have to get on their giddy up to get that done. So every point I think they would say matters. I also would say it's very possible. Now, I wasn't listening to Benjamin Scanner, a little inside baseball here. So I have whatever, 10 cars, 11 cars, 12 cars in my section. I will lock out some that aren't factors in the race pretty early. And I actually generally lock out the 55 car even before the race starts because they're really chatty. And until they're racing in the top 10, what they do, because, and I get it, they, they do a lot of coaching. My friend Jonathan George does a lot of coaching with Benjamin, so he's talking a lot, which means I may not hear Alex Pillow or Scott Dixon or Colton Herta or someone running in the top five of the race. The other one I always locked out was the 29 car because I think Devlin liked a lot of information and Rob talked a lot to him. Notice he doesn't talk anymore very much with Colton Herta and he didn't do it with other drivers in the past. So I didn't hear what Benjamin was saying on the radio or being told, but I think there's a decent chance he was being told, fight for your position. They are trying to develop a driver. They are trying to set a tone 
and that can be debated as well. But I think there's a chance that this wasn't just all on Benjamin, that he was being encouraged to continue to fight for that spot. So uh, that's unfortunate for him, and it might be in his best interest to kind of talk to some people and try to smooth some things over. Another story we didn't cover yet, Connor Daly. Well done by Connor in uh, not great circumstances. So happy that Simon Pagano is relatively okay, but uh, understandably nasty, nasty tumble. Six and a half times end over end. He wasn't cleared, and you know, I think he and medical and others said, we expect him to be cleared, but until he is, and Michael Shank told racer.com today he still got a little bit of a headache and then he also said and we are looking into options so it's not obviously a guarantee that connor is going to get that call again with a little bit more notice we'll talk about that when we get into our silly season circumstances in a little bit we've got scheduled news to talk about on the program and plenty more all coming up trackside 93.5 the fan Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Mid-Ohio race, and so we've got a lot of season left, so let's don't count Dixie out, don't count Joseph Newgarden out. But it is going to take a lot. Uh, as I mentioned, Erickson, uh, with his last place finish, falls to fourth, 122 points out of the lead. Errol McLaren's pot award, 127 back of Polo. So they all kind of need to get on a massive run. That'd be Dixon or Newgarden or Erickson or Ward. And it's probably only those uh, still left in the game, honestly. So next up, Honda Indy Toronto on july 16th which means we get a weekend off from the series this weekend and um another little side note of of Pelot's dominance the last four times a driver won three consecutive races in an ntt indycar series ryan hunter ray 2012 you can tell me what these have in common but ryan hunter ray in 2012 scott dixon in 2013 and 2020 Simon Pagano in 2016, all of those drivers, all three of those drivers in four instances went on to win the series championship. And in all 24 of the 30 drivers who have won three straight races in a season in one season, now that the power did the last two of a season, then won the first one of the next season, but all three in the same season, those guys went on to be champions. So as um, we have talked about quite a bit in this hour, a lot has to go wrong for, for Alex Pelot not to to win this series championship. Coming up in the second hour, we got a, several things to get to. We want to get to Simon Pagano's crash. A lot of things from an Indy Star story that Nathan Brown wrote about the schedule. Uh, Formula One schedule came out today with the three U.S. races back on the calendar. Miami on May the 5th. Austin on October the 20th, and Vegas back in November, Thanksgiving pre-weekend, November 23rd. So that's F1. We want to get touch on the NASCAR race in Chicago, plus the silly season, which uh, we're all waiting on Alex Pillow, and then we're waiting on Marcus Erickson, and 
and others. So we've still got a lot to cover here in the second hour. Kevin will be back here in just a second. We'll come back in an hour or two and get rolling here with Trackside. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Baseball's All-Star Game is next Tuesday night. Radio station will air it, so we'll chat with you Wednesday night from 7 until 9 next week. Uh, before the program is over, sometimes we, we talk about the, the, quote, resident driver of the program, Jackson Lee, but I like to often save those for the end of the show. I know not everyone is going to be interested in that, and we got a lot to cover, so I'll save that for the last segment. And I got some nuggets on other young drivers as well, some uh, Americans racing abroad, and then just a little bit of recap of what's going on in Indy Next and the other two ladder series. We'll touch on that at the end of the show tonight. Kurt, um, maybe the next thing, before we get to uh, a really good bit of information from Nathan Brown from the Indianapolis Star today on schedule, um, let's get into some of the other things that are coming up in the near future, uh, like who's going to be where and what other scenarios are in play and just the big picture items and what we do know at this point. So I saw uh, David Malukas on Thursday, and I wasn't covering him this weekend, so I wasn't really going to do a big deep dive, but I at least wanted to have a definitive list of what drivers are free agents. So as I'm kind of walking by, I just said, hey, real quick, um, should I include you on the free agent list for next year? And he, he just said, oh, yeah, most definitely. And then Nathan Brown, I think, had either just talked to him or just talked to him afterwards. And that's pretty bold. Did you see that story? Yeah, I did. I, I was surprised he came out as strong as he did. But, you know, he has been he's had a real um attractive honesty about himself uh and he you know he doesn't he doesn't embellish you know he doesn't talk for the sake of talking but he'll answer the question and he has done that pretty repeatedly really since you know i guess his season in indy next is where i i noticed it first but he has um he's really laid it out there that he's looking elsewhere and you know that's my first take on that was, wow, that came out pretty strong. It sounds like a, a true, you know, assessment of where he thinks Dale Coyne racing is. But he went on to say, look, they, they've done great by me. Uh, they, uh, you know, they gave me a shot. It's nothing, but I need to move on. And um, so in maybe in some respects, better to get it out there and, and let Dale Coyne begin working, <laughs> although he probably won't settle on, on his driver lineup until till December, but, uh, but probably it's best if it just gets out there and, and everybody kind of moves on. And, and like I said, I wasn't even certain if it was a free agent. That doesn't matter that much. I think the teams with openings, he's made that clear. And I was even told this weekend that he was really close to agreeing to one team that they thought that was happening a couple of weeks ago. Now it's not, which makes me wonder. And when I think about David Malukas, uh, this is kind of the Marcus Erickson to a different degree type of situation. David is someone who has a drive because, one, he's good, 
and two, he could help pay for it through his family's HMD trucking company. And the goal out of all of this is eventually you're getting hired to drive. And, you know, I can see why, and I would agree, that they would think, hey, he's done enough, especially in his rookie season, and he's shown some promise again this season, that he should be highly considered to be hired. And I think he can be hired somewhere. However, what do you do if there is an opportunity at Chip Ganassi Racing? And I think it's essentially trying to talk dad into can we up the ante a little bit uh there's a number that is required to run at dale coin racing the number to run even if you're good we've seen at chip ganassi racing is significantly higher and here here's the challenge they know there's budget available the other teams do so for the best seats i don't see him getting outright hired right now at chip ganassi racing because it's been made very clear that they need some help on the partnership side of things, that they are not fully funded with their cars. We need drivers and their connections to help that. So I have to believe if he wants to go there, HMD Trucking is going to have to come along. And we can't answer that question because we don't know how much budget they have. Can they run through the company? Seven, eight, ten million dollars with lots of visibility and a chance to win races and maybe do what Alex Pillow did and win a championship, and then you push down the road two years. You get the contract squared away where we are free and clear with no options, or it's an option that is a $3 million salary two years from now. Does all that scenario make sense? What thoughts do you have? Well, I think it makes sense from from a planning standpoint, and I, somebody told me today, and, and I'm not saying it was ironclad in sourcing because I'm not sure that, that they had it ironclad sourcing, but that Chip Ganassi would have the first option here. Now, whether that was a deal they agreed to previously, but or did it just coincide with the fact that Ganassi is going to have a seat, it seems, and, and would need budget and would be, you know, Malukas would check the boxes to be one of the first considerations if he had budget suitable for Chip's liking. All that said, I think it feels very much like an Alex Pillow situation. You know, Ganassi has had, what, two drivers from the Dale Coyne camp? He had Ed Jones and he had uh, he had uh, Alex Pillow. So there does seem to be some, at least some, some uh, coincidence to that. Um, I think if I'm David, that should be my first option or at least my first pursuit and andretti would be another and i would think that uh i would think it'd be ganassi if you could get there andretti definitely would be another and i i suspect i think that potentially could take less budgets to be in that seat and there are still a couple of wild cards there at andretti they have one or two openings at this point I don't know what's happening with the 28 car. I don't know whether that's Ramon Grosjean or whether that's Marcus Erickson. Um, and then the 29 car. You know, I think there's a scenario I could see where they run three next year. If the 29 car is not in the leader's circle next year and they don't have the right fit for that, they might decide, you know what, maybe we just downsize to three. 
because we need to come up with another million or so. Now, that might change if David Malukas becomes available because he would fit both. I would imagine they think highly of him, and if he could bring some budget, then that helps that, that cause a little bit. Now, back to Erickson. We don't know where he's going to be at this point, and he might he might have more options. He might have one options. Is he? Because I, I think if he gets a, a paid offer at Chip Ganassi Racing, he is staying put. But let's say that's off the table. Does he want to wait and find out where Alex Pillow is going to be? What if Alex Pillow does end up in Formula One? What's the timeline? Unfortunately, I don't know that that's going to be settled before August. That's typically when they kind of get things done for next season because it's difficult to keep a secret over there. Um, so is that going to be too late? What what does Alex Pillow do? We feel pretty certain he's not coming back to Ganassi. It's either Errol McLaren in IndyCar or it's somewhere else in the Formula One world. Zach Brown may be trying to re-recruit him at this point and may be making some promises for 2025 in Formula One. <laughs> Uh, or at least some some strong suggestions that there could be an opportunity for for him there. So that's kind of where it starts, and it's difficult to to kind of pencil in anyone else until you know what Pelot is doing. Yeah, I think you're right. I th- I think it's uh, you know as as my mind was racing through the various chips and and uh, dominoes that will fall and come together. You know, we got a lot of people that I mean, there there seems to be more openings or at least potential openings than we've had in a while and yet i don't see how any of them get resolved anytime soon because this is one of those log jams kind of like when you're trying to buy a house you're you're you have to wait for the first one to happen before you can move into the second house you have to sell your house sometimes before you buy your next house and that is i mean that's you're waiting on polo but it might not be till september or at least not at the October, August 1st, August 1st, I should say, not at that timeline for Erickson's sake. So, boy, I, I wonder how all these pieces come together. And somebody like Erickson might have to make a decision on blind faith that he knows what Pelot's going to do. So I'm not saying that they're on the phone with each other, but I bet uh, Erickson and his people are trying desperately to find out what Pelot's situation is. And add in the other dynamic, you know, normally uh, McLaren could simply just put a provision in there and tell Polo, hey, we have to know by August 1st. But as I understand it, they're not allowed to talk to him until after the season is over. But they probably are still doing something like that. They're, they're saying if you want to be offered something officially on September 9th or whatever the date is, we need uh, a verbal agreement by August 1st, uh, because after that, because if they lose Pelot late, and what if Erickson has already signed by that time with Andretti or re-signed with Ganassi? And then next on the list, I'm sure, is Felix Rosenquist. But what if Felix? I don't. If I'm Felix Rosenquist, everything, I think, got started this past weekend. For some, July 1st is the date. For others, August 1st is the date. But if he's given a firm offer by Rahal Letterman Lanigan by Meyer Shank Racing, um, by Ed Carpenter Racing. You know, there are others out there. Every team, except Penske, I think, has an opening. I don't know that Felix Rosenquist is going to be available on August 1st. That would be a gamble on his part. 
I think he'd like to stay there too, so maybe he rolls the dice. And he's quietly also going to be asking Alex Pillow, what are you doing? Uh, Marcus Erickson, hey, you ran me off the road last week. You can at least help me out and tell me what you're doing. Are you taking my seat next year? So, And, and they all have very strong representation that can probably get to this. But I'm kind of hearing over the weekend that I'm not sure that anybody's really committed. I don't think Felix has uh, done anything yet. I don't think Malukas has done anything. I asked Marcus again if there's been any development with Chip Ganassi racing, and he said, nope, nothing has changed on that front. So a lot of wild cards here moving forward. Yeah, don't you think it's it's more than we've seen, uh, at least entangled, than we've seen in recent years? You know, if I think Felix has to take the best opportunity that comes along pretty quickly. I mean, I don't think he can wait. Uh, I think it'd be a slim opportunity to return it, Arrow McLaren. Um, I mean, it could happen, I suppose, but I just I think he'd be better off if he could be kind of the lead dog at at one of these programs. I think you have to take it. And I don't I don't have a sense between the ones you listed. You don't think he's got any shot at at an Andretti or returning to Ganassi? Well, if Ganassi is requiring drivers to bring budget, Felix yep, doesn't have budget, out. right? Right. You know, if, if they were going to hire, wouldn't they just hire Marcus Erickson? Sure. Unless Marcus is saying, I need to be paid $3 million, and Felix says, ah, I, I'd be happy for quite a bit lower than that. Maybe there's a scenario there. No, I, I do think Andretti could be a consideration for Felix as well. Here are the teams that I think have openings. I think Ganassi has potentially three openings. Scott Dixon's the only one that's confirmed for next year. Andretti has two. McLaren has maybe one, maybe. Uh, I guess they have technically one since Pillow is not officially signed. Ed Carpenter Racing has one. Meyer Shank Racing has one or two. I can't. Did I talk about what Mike told me at Watkins Glen that he would? He had uh, part of the IndyCar program done. And we'd know at the Brickyard. Um, I don't know if I said that on Peacock or on this show last week. Nathan Brown also got it in writing with a little stronger comment that we have one driver signed. I think that's Tom Blomquist. And then the other in Elio's seat. And then the other is TBD. And it could be Simon. And even in, in the star story today, or maybe that was in the racer story, Mike Shanks said, you know, if Simon isn't cleared, we might use the Toronto weekend to evaluate someone we're considering. So that leaves it to someone that's not in the paddock right now. And maybe that it could potentially just be the driver. I think they've already signed. I don't know this. I can't report that they've signed Tom Blumquist. I just think. And maybe they just decide, you know what, we would like to get Blumquist some more experience. So we're going to put him in the car. My understanding is this past weekend, he was out of the country. So whether they wanted to bring him or not, I'm not sure that would have been great for him to bring him in and do one warm-up and try to race. Connor was easily the best option in that circumstance. But with a full weekend, I think that'd still be really tough on a street race. I think Connor would be a better option there as well. But who, who am I not thinking about? You know, Maybe that's a Linus Lundquist. If they're thinking about him for next year, do we put him in the car and evaluate him? And I'm sure if we you know, started going through a list, we'd come up with some other names that don't have a seat that could be considered. Feels messy, doesn't it? I mean, the whole thing just <laughs> kind of feels 
It it Very feels much so. uh, yeah, messy might not be the right word, but just trying to put, paint a convoluted. clear picture for yeah, convoluted. Yeah, just um, this thing could take a whole different look, and you know that's where a a consistent Scott Dixon or Team Penske, which stays stays pretty status quo, that might be really in their favor come twenty twenty four. But hard oh, to by say. By the way, I stopped on the the list of teams that have openings. So we've talked about Ganassi, Andretti, McLaren, Ed Carpenter, Meyer Shank. Uh, unfortunately, probably Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I, I think they only have one driver that's signed. I did confirm with Christian Lungard. I said, would you be on the free agent list? Because I, I've heard some people say, yeah, he's under contract, but it's, you know, every contract has an out and he might be interested if there's a better option out there of seeing what that would take. He was pretty adamant. Nope, I'll be back here next year. You do not need to include me on the free agent list. But I think Graham Rahal is technically a free agent, and I know Jack Harvey is a free agent. I, I think if Graham is driving full-time next year, he is driving for Rahal, Letterman, Lanigan. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's one of those things that I, I think highly of Jack Harvey, and I believe he can get the, the job done. But when you've not had results, somebody's probably going to ask to try something different. I noticed Yuri Vips, who is a, a BMW Formula E driver, I believe. I've, I've seen him in their uh, paddock at least two or three times this year, and he was there again this weekend. We've seen Lundquist hanging around the team and is tested with the team. So there's one. Hunkos Hollinger, I think, probably has at least one opening. I think there's a good chance that Caleb Eilat is going to move on somewhere else next year. He might technically have another year on the contract, but there's probably some sort of an option or a out there. We know Dale Coyne Racing has one, actually two openings. Stingray Rob confirmed to me that it was a one-year contract for him, so he's uh, going to be working on returning. Uh, and then Foyt has one open seat. Last I heard, Benjamin Peterson is on a multi-year contract, but Santino Ferrucci told me in May his was a one-year contract. He is hoping to return, and at that point he said, you know, I, I think we're doing well, and if they offered me a chance to return, I'm going to guess I don't really look elsewhere. I like it here, and I plan on staying. So that might already be done, and I think that they would run, run it back for the Indy 500 again. Penske does not have an opening, but here's a scenario and a theory somebody threw out, which I don't know would happen as soon as next year. But what if Penske sees a young driver that's a free agent that has a chance to sign with an Andretti or a Ganassi or a McLaren long-term, taking them off the market for a few years? Would they consider running a fourth if they think Will Power is only going to do one more year? Um, that would be maybe something to keep an eye on i doubt it and i actually also think will powers probably got two years normally those are two-year extensions and i think that's what he did early this year so I, team penske is probably always going to be able to get a guy they want if there's somebody they really want they'd probably go to them like they might have with joseph newgard and said you need to sign one-year contracts because we're eventually going to get you here so there's that list and for uh drivers that are free agents, it's much easier to list the drivers that are signed uh, at this point. So there's where things stand there. Uh, anything I'm missing, Kurt will help me out when we come back. And I want to get into this uh, Indianapolis Star schedule story. There's a couple of nuggets in there that uh, there was one that I was not really familiar with. That, that is a real thing. So we'll get to that next on Trackside. 
Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Uh, the ratings since they were they were good. A cable rating of 776,000 viewers on USA Network. It doesn't mention if that includes normally doesn't uh, if that includes what was available on Peacock or digital or anything else. So that's good. I think the first race on USA this year was 375 or something. It's bigger than the other ones on USA and is the biggest cable rating since that Nashville race back in 21. So what's the common denominator when ratings are good? What, what normally leads to that, Kurt? You. Oh, I thought it was uh, something else. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, 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 assume... I wasn't. It has nothing to do with the announcers. I'd love to oh, say okay. it does. Well, I, yeah, I probably I... shouldn't say that. Announce, well, great announcing really helps. Okay, well, let me really say this. really puts you over the top. Like that Nashville race we were on after a cup race. That worked out well. It's competition and lead-in. And in this case, uh, so two weeks ago, I think we were head-to-head with the Formula One race. That doesn't help. Uh, a lot of times you're head-to-head with a cup race. That's not great. So in this case, you were not head-to-head with either. And you sort of had an Xfinity race as a lead-in. And I like the USA races being in the summertime when the NBC portion of NASCAR takes over because more race fans are interested. You know, USA, I think, was the home of the Detroit race last year. This year it was Road America before NASCAR got started. I, I would love for us to be able to push the couple of USA races back to let NASCAR help us. And I think that was a huge help during their well-watched, even practice shows, because it was so new. First street race ever. What's going to happen? Is this going to be a disaster? Is it going to rain? All of that involved. So we already had people... On USA that weekend, along with the promos. And then the Xfinity race was rained out and was supposed to start at 11 a.m. or something on Sunday morning. And for a while, we're getting worried about, uh uh-oh, what if that runs late? Um, But it worked out. They called the race right as our race was starting. So you had a built-in audience sticking around. And they look and they see a good event. They see full hills. What an awesome feeling Mid-Ohio is. How packed that place looks. I don't know what the crowd is. But it looks good. So uh, that's very positive, and I was happy to see that. And I was also happy for the company I work for that they had almost 5 million people watching the Chicago street race. So that's awesome. And I enjoyed the race. I listened to it on the drive back home, watched the second half after I got back home. And uh, none of us can say the name of the winner without some practice. So did you watch any of the NASCAR race? I did. I did. Pronouncing Shane Van Gisbergen. That's why it's SVJ, SVG, (laughs) excuse me. Um, You know, and and his battle with with Scott McLaughlin and supercars was, uh, you know, is something we all should catch up speed, get get up to speed with if uh, SVG continues in NASCAR. Let me let me throw one bit of other information relative to TV. I saw that in the Chicago Cup race, and while you are correct, it was nearly 5 million people watching. The streaming portion was only 163,000. That's the most ever for a cup race on streaming devices, but it shows you just still how the discrepancy between television and streaming is 
to be uh, it's still linear. It's yeah. still it's still linear. So we're making progress, uh, and you know the grand experiments are those exclusivities, like we're going to see at Toronto. Make note, the Toronto race is exclusively on Peacock. A Peacock Premium is the only place, so you'll have to to dish out the five bucks for a month if you like. You could cancel it after, and that's how you can watch the race live. And on demand. Also, the Chicago race of note and why that was probably a worthy investment. Their rating in market in Chicago was a nine, three times what it is for the Daytona 500. So I know that's massively expensive, and I don't know if it's going to be allowed to come back because there's a new mayor last year. So if it's a one and done, yeah, that's a little bit too much. But if somehow they can make that continue and it's not as expensive in year two, well done by NASCAR. I'm, you know, frankly, in thinking from IndyCar's side, I'm sad that someone else has figured out that street races can be good events as well. And now NASCAR is going to keep adding on to those. Oh, but back to Shane Van Gisbergen. I had my own moment. Everybody says, well, why is it so hard to pronounce that name? It's just different. And your tongue gets rolled up and you're trying to roll it out. So he did. He's done the Rolex a few times, including the first Rolex I did. And he was... Townsend's teammate on the Lexus program and he's in the car at two in the morning and I'll be honest I had no idea who he was I I was told he's really good he's talented so I'm calling one of his pit stops in the middle of the night and they're 45 seconds long and I believe I pronounced his name three different ways in that pit stop Uh, so I feel for Dale Jr. and Jeff Burton and, and everybody else through that but I've been practicing because you're going to hear his name again I know he said in the post-race interview that I've got one more year in my supercars deal I saw his team owner Jamie Wincup said you know what if he gets a good offer we're not going to stand in his way and if he wants to come next year and somebody wants to hire him we'll do that this shows you how good Scott McLaughlin is because uh, Van Gisbergen was winning championships before McLaughlin then McLaughlin won the next three and he didn't start winning championships again until McLaughlin left, but they're really tight. And that kind of shows you, it shows you that there's talent all around. And especially when you come to an even playing uh, situation with a, a new event, uh, Nathan Brown had a really, Oh, uh, one less NASCAR thing, Connor Daly in the truck race this weekend. And Marco Andretti was just named to run in the truck race. Something to keep an eye on Gainbridge and group 1001 working with Spire. Uh, if Andretti wants to expand the NASCAR, maybe that's kind of a toe with, in the water there. And there's looking like there's a little more optimism. I saw a story today about their Formula One efforts moving forward. But tell me some of the things we learned from Nathan Brown's Indianapolis Star story today about the schedule. So I think there were three elements. And let me just take them one at a time so you can jump in real quickly if if need be and get them in in this segment. The first, I think, is significant is that Milwaukee is in play, but IndyCar wants to stick to 17 regular season races. So if Milwaukee comes on board, uh, and and Roger Penske was weighed in on this, said he really liked Milwaukee and and saw some real improvement from the last time he was there. We've heard that since Road America. But that's kind of the first element, that 17 races on the schedule for 2024. Probably not much to weigh in, but if you'd like to, go ahead. 
well, we've heard in other outlets that they want to expand that schedule. And you and I have both said, I don't know where that's coming from. Because yeah, I right. don't think Roger really wants to do that. And I'm not hearing Mark Miles really wants to do that. So there's more of an on the record. You know, I've, I've always felt like in the right circumstance, maybe they go to 18. Now, where they could expand is what you'll get to next. They are considering some non-championship races. And by the way, right. if they do need to reduce... The options would be cutting out the road course race, the second one at Indianapolis, which it's possible that's not an option. You know, it may be dictated by if NASCAR, and I don't know what their thought is. I've not heard anything other than what drivers said publicly that they'd like to be on the Oval again. But if the Brickyard goes back to the Oval, then that takes the decision out of your hands. That event is going away. I suppose you could uh, make Iowa a single header instead of a double header. And Nathan pointed out that there are a few other places that are probably in the last year of a contract, like Laguna Seca and Portland. I don't know that. I think and hope they're going to continue. He mentioned Toronto as well. I've heard some positive things about the future about Toronto, so I feel optimistic about that. So my best guess is if Milwaukee came on, it's probably the second road course race at Indianapolis. So the two options that were discussed, and there technically could be three, I suppose, but I don't think they would do... I'm not sure they would do two non-points-paying races at the end of the season. We've talked about uh, one of them for sure, and that's Argentina. There's We don't even need to get into that. That's one of the really good options, maybe the best option. Uh, it was also mentioned Brazil. We've heard Brazil, but uh, Nathan was able to either glean or, or, uh, or, dem- or surmise that Interlagos would be the location. So in uh, Sao Paulo, uh, that would be... Uh, an interesting place, obviously, uh, to go to. It would it would be unfortunate that Elio or Kanan weren't in that race if they weren't full time guys. Given uh, you know their popularity in Brazil relative to the other IndyCar drivers, and then the one that I think you referenced a little bit ago was a possibility, at least, of returning to Australia. Seemed to be the most far fetched of the three. They were the least along in the process in discussions, but. The fact that it was mentioned along with Argentina and and Interlagos was uh, was interesting. So what I took from the quotes was Brazil is not very far along. That's been out there in published reports. And Interlagos was mentioned in a story that I mentioned on this show a couple of weeks ago in a story about the World Endurance Championship and just a throwaway line at the end that, you know, we're in discussions with IndyCar. And, you know, Mark, I think, basically said, eh, we're not very far along on that, so I wouldn't count on that for next year, but we're, you know, happy to listen. But we've not gotten any depth in there as well. Maybe I misinterpreted that, but I took from that that there there may be yet another more promising prospect than Argentina, and we may be choosing between the two for next year, or it could be just the one or none. I took that to mean he's saying Australia could be even more promising than Argentina. One theory out there is that Argentina is not super interested or as interested if it's not a points-paying race. So that might make it harder for them to come up with funding for that. Um, so Australia percolates every few years, so I don't want to get too excited about that. But that was that was interesting to see. And if you're going to go somewhere for a end of the season, mini championship, maybe it is a couple of races. And the other thing in Nathan's story, so we've heard before from multiple outlets that Nashville will continue and they'll figure it out. 
what this says is that it may not just be in the Indianapolis Star today uh, a temporary track until the new football stadium is built and they can get back to something similar that they're doing now. I took from this article that they have an idea that's a big idea that might even, they think, be better and be more impactful than the current, and they could, as soon as 24, be on the permanent venue. And the only thing I can think of that could potentially have more impact is if you're running up and down Broadway like a Big and Rich song, which I think would be pretty difficult, but you know what? Cars don't run down those roads a lot of time anyway. Those are just pedestrian streets because of how many bachelorette parties are going on and how many tourists are there anyway. So I won't eliminate that, and I would just say stay tuned. That's fascinating. I think with the Chicago race being over the weekend, I think that's where the the discussion about a big event and how you could make Nashville big, super big, um, I think that's why all all thoughts there lead to Broadway Street and um, – that would be that would be an eye catcher for sure. I don't know the number, but every venue has massive rooftop seating. Uh, I bet you have built-in suites. I bet you could get ten or fifteen thousand people. That eh, may be high. You could get several thousand people on Broadway up there. All right, we're going to talk about some of the young drivers uh, coming up and more in a moment on Trackside. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. IndyCar for the first part of the show, and if you're so interested, here's the last segment of the program. First, I wanted to mention... Indy next from mid-Ohio as the championship gets a little bit tighter. Nolan Siegel had built up a 40-point lead, uh, did not have a fantastic weekend, so it's a little bit tighter. First, the race itself, Christian Rasmussen won the pole. Louis Foster started second. Uh, Foster got Rasmussen fairly late in the race, and then it started misting a little bit. It got a little bit slick. Foster won the race, his first win. That's a big breakthrough. He's really, really good. He's been really fast, and he's not had any luck this year. So uh, I would keep an eye on Louis Foster, who won the USF Pro Championship last year in the scholarship and is still just 19 years old. Kiffin Simpson, I think, had a bit of a, I don't know, breakthrough weekend is the right word because he finished on the podium at IMS, but he finished second. He passed Rasmussen late in the race. And then Nolan Siegel was doing fine. He was running fifth, but then in that drizzle, he went barely off and then spun it and finished 15th. So he went from fifth to 15th. That's 15 points. And instead of being up 31, is now up 16 points on Christian Rasmussen. It could have been even worse if Rasmussen had held on and won the race or even stuck in second. Hunter McElray is 39 back. Foster's within 42 They are at the midpoint of the season for that scholarship. I think it's very much in play uh, at this point. In the USF Pro 2000 Championship, Michael DiOrlando and Miles Rowe won the pair of races. Rowe is still very much in control of that championship, and we'll be talking more. I think it's a foregone conclusion with, as a fully funded driver with Penske Entertainment. He's going to be moving up, and it might be simply with the scholarship, which is good for Penske Entertainment. That saves them 
close to $700,000 funding him. And I think he'll do well. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I think he'll do pretty well next year in Indy next uh, two. Uh, for Jackson Lee, I think it's fair to say it was a difficult weekend. And here it's, are we offering excuses or just real reasons? So he was one of only, a, I think, a couple of drivers that didn't test the week before in mid-Ohio. So we knew it was going to be a little bit of a catch-up. First time he's been at that track in these cars, although he's been at the track uh, several times before. So he wasn't quite as quick as he needed to be early on. He qualified 16th in the first qualifying. You know, you need about two-tenths to be where we would consider good, uh, around 10th, 11th, something like that. And then in the second qualifying, he picked up a 10th, but that's still good enough for only 14th. Uh, he said, yeah, I fixed the problems that I had in Q1 and thought I'd be a lot quicker and then go back and look at the video and, ooh, I didn't get uh, some of the ones that I was getting right correct. So you just got to put it all together, and it's it's really tight. Race one was going fine. It's tough to pass. We got one at the start, picked up uh, more through just attrition, others making mistakes, and he was up to 11th when the rain came, past midpoint of the race, uh, and that took a while. They red flag it, then it gets into a time race, so there's only going to be two laps to go, and it had already stopped raining, so it wasn't super wet, but they were all on rain tires. He lost a spot on the first lap, and then the second lap, he said, ooh, I figured out the turn three cars are really, really good in the rain, and he could kind of go wherever he wanted to. He passed Miles Rowe going into four. Halfway through that lap, got a couple of more, and he was up to either ninth or tenth, I think maybe tenth, going into the final corner, and he got hit in the right rear. That spun, caused damage uh, on the car, and a pretty good wrist sprain as well. So we weren't sure if he was going to be able to do race two he decided to and I, I said you know don't don't run if it's just gonna go poorly but you knew he was going to once he was cleared to be able to race they didn't have an x-ray machine available to their drivers at the track so they just basically told him eh, I don't think it's broken you can race if you want to so uh in race two I, I would say it was his mistake at the start uh going into turn four uh trying to hold on to his position so he dropped the tire at the exit would have probably been okay, and then uh, the driver to his right helped finish him off and just basically tracked out all the way to the left, so that spun him. He got stuck in the grass, lost a lap before they got him out, so he's a lap down, uh, and the race is essentially over, but he was quite a bit quicker than those at the back, so he went ahead and passed three cars pretty quickly and then caught up to a teammate. And maybe could have passed the teammate, but you're not going to do that when you're down a lap. So he would catch him, and then he gapped a couple of times to run fast laps. And that was kind of cool because he was running laps faster than the leaders for a while and ended up with the same lap time that Miles Rowe had, who who won the race. And then eventually he said his wrist was really hurting, and he was starting to make some mistakes, and no one else was on his lap. So he, he parked it two-thirds of the way, uh, way into that race. So... Uh, this is where we stop for now. Already, we weren't going to go to Toronto because if you don't have full budget, it's just not a great idea. As one team owner said, we shoveled our cars onto the transporter last year. So if you're not fully funded for the year, it's a high chance you're going to have significant damage. That's probably going to end your season at that point. I'll admit, I'm not a fan of the junior formulas uh, below Indy next, who doesn't run there either. 
Uh, but I'm not a big fan running those kind of street races. I get it. It, it makes sense for Anderson Promotions to do kind of a package deal. I don't know which way the money goes, but I, I think there's an incentive to run all of the green Savory races, Portland, Mid-Ohio, St. Pete, and Toronto. So I get why they're there, and I suspect it's also important as a market for Cooper Tires. But if you uh, do not have barrelfuls of money, it's not a good place to be. So we reset and hope to find uh, some opportunities through maybe some in-market partners for Austin, Texas, Circuit of the Americas, where they will race this year, and also Portland uh, to get him uh, some more experience because the goal is to run it back and have a chance with a season of experience. And I know the results do not look good, but I'll say this. I've been impressed with what I know I'm biased, but I'm also probably pretty realistic too. Uh, He's had legit 8th to 14th pace a lot of the time, and I wasn't sure if he was ready to move up and compete, but but he is, and he was. He's had some good results, so there you go. Save it for the end of the show for those that are really interested, and if not, you've already moved on at this point. And I'll mention, I'm going to mention a couple other kids. I want to mention Simon Sykes, one of Jackson's buddies, his old teammate in F1600. They had a lot of fun racing back and forth. Simon won at least one of the races this weekend and now has a decent lead in the USF 2000 championship, uh, the, the latter, the step below where Jackson is racing. And he was a Team USA kid with Jackson. Another one his year, Bryce Aaron, uh, he was at Mid-Ohio this weekend, and he is uh, second in the Euro Form- Formula Open championship. This is a good series. This is probably like Indy Pro 2000, USF Pro 2000 level, just a little bit below uh, Indy next. It's maybe even higher than Pro 2000, but he's won a couple of races, and I, um, I'll let them speak for themselves. I didn't ask specifically about this, but I saw him hanging around some Indy next teams. So Bryce, who's from Illinois, maybe he comes back to America and runs an Indy next uh, next year. Uh, one of his other teammates in the UK, Max Esterson, in the news. He's won in GB3, which is British F3, what it used to be. He's going to do F3 the next two rounds, including at Silverstone. This weekend, Max won Team USA the year after Jackson and was their teammate. He ran, I think, three full seasons over there. So he's got a lot of experience at Silverstone. And another American. I don't know Jack Crawford, but I know he's American. He won an F2 sprint race. Was it this weekend, the weekend before? So congrats to him. So there is uh, not a full list, but some uh, details on what's going on. Uh, with junior-level drivers from America. All right, that's it for tonight. We'll see you next Wednesday night for Kurt and also for Sam Fritz back in the studio. Thank you. We'll talk to you next Wednesday at 7, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.